You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 46 and can be found on page 496 of the Bible at your seat. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, team. We have a lot to celebrate when we look at this text. If you're just joining us, one of the things we're doing right now at this season of our life, of our churches, we're going through a series called Knowing God. And it's important for us to know God because I believe what I did with Tozer once said is that knowing God and what we think about God is, is the most important thing about us. And so we've been walking through this together, and what we started with, what I felt like was the most important thing to start with, is understanding that God is holy, 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 and we are not. The difference in the chasm between His holiness and us is so vast that even one of the holiest and the the most good people alive, Isaiah at the time, when he discovered the holiness of God, he felt so bad about who he was, he had a curse of woe on himself to which God intervened and purified him. And that's what we learned is that it's through his holiness that we can become holy. There is no other way to improve or to become holy except through the one who is holy. Then after we looked at the holiness of God, we talked about the immutability of God. The immutability of God is just like it sounds, right? Like God can't be mutated. He cannot change. God does not evolve. He is the unchanging one. He is consistent. He is good. We just sang about it today. That even though we change and we are always going to be changing because why? We are created beings. God is the uncreated one. He does not change. God created us to change. Everything around us changes. And so with all the change and all the storms and all the comings and goings, there is one who never changes. That is God. And then last week we began um, looking at the sovereignty of God. And we looked at Isaiah 46. And I, we, we talked about Isaiah 46 as God uh, expounds his sovereignty and his worth and his might. And then in Isaiah 46, we see this command. The command was this, remember this and be brave. Take it to heart. And then the unfolding of his sovereign work. This was last week. 
And I said, hey, come back this week and we're going to learn together why his sovereignty is good news for us. What his sovereignty does for us and what it builds in us to give us hope. And so many of you have come back. Many of you were here and like, man, I should have been here last week to learn about that. But you can check it out online um, if you missed last week. I want to pray before we get into this chapter and as I pray, I, I felt, like, as we were singing a while ago, I just sensed that the Spirit was telling me there are some here today that are coming in, and maybe there's just tons of changes going on, but I, I, I just prayed for healing for many of you. I pray that God would help us with this doctrine, and it not just be this thing that's lofty up there, but those who, who are crying and needing healing of some sort that they would be encouraged today and that they would have confidence and hope today. So let's pray right now for these things. Lord, I'm reminded that every time we learn a little bit about You, we're bumping into mystery. There's no way we can learn every single thing there is to know about Your sovereignty. But help us. Help us to enjoy this. Help us to know what it means to be that you're sovereign and we are not. And to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only is this chapter, Psalm 46, that Lauren read, one of my favorite psalms, it was also Martin Luther's favorite psalm. This chapter is rich and it's full with overflowing truth of the sovereignty of God. In W.S. Plummer's commentary of Psalms, which is about this thick, you notice I didn't bring that this morning saying, hey, check this out. It, the commentary on Psalms is this thick and it is really, really good. It's a great treasure to have. On this Psalm, Plummer has 19 application points. 19. So we're going to walk through all 19 of those today in about 20 minutes. Um, that would be crazy for me to even try. You're like, oh no, we came to the wrong day. Um, there's no way to do that. In fact, what I'm trying to do in two weeks, talking about the sovereignty of God just is not fair because it's on every page in the Bible. Um, but we're trying to, because there's other attributes we want to move to, we're going to walk through. And so what I believe for time's sake, we're going to sum up the 19 points or these, this whole chapter, we're going to say that there are two grand points. Two main things that the sovereignty of God does for us and stirs up in us. The two things are, one is confidence, one is worship. Confidence and worship. Let's take them one at a time. Trust and hope in God's sovereignty produces confidence in God. Confidence that rises up in us, but confidence in God. That's why what we saw last week in Isaiah 46, he says, be bold. Remember this. Be brave. Take it to heart. So what is it about God's sovereignty that helps us to be brave or to confident? So just a little recap. One thing we talked about in sovereignty of God is that uh, the closest we get to God's sovereignty is the game we used to play, King of the Mountain. 
right? And we would fight and we'd strive and finally we're king of the mountain. We feel like we got the upper hand. We're, we're in a high position. We can knock down all of those who try to unseat our sovereignty, right? We're on top. But what we learned about God is God is sovereign and there is no threat ever to his sovereignty. All the toiling, all the striving, all the rewriting about who we think God is, nobody comes close to unseating God's place. And here's the difference about God and us. When we're on the throne, we want to keep others away from us. When God's on the throne, he sends his son to come to us, to bring him to himself. Oh, you want to be with me? Let me help you. I'm still on the throne. I'm still king of the mountain. I'm bringing you to me. That was last week. So what is it about all this in this psalm that we see that gives us confidence in all of the sovereignty of God? Look with me in verse 1. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength. Often Christians can be accused of turning to Christ just sort of using him as a crutch. You ever been accused of that? I remember the first time I was accused of that. I didn't even understand what they were saying. But eventually I learned that the best reply when we're accused of using God as a crutch is to say, yes, he is the most dependable, the most sure crutch on which anyone is welcome to come and lean. He is our refuge. He is our strength. This saying about Jesus being a crutch is more than just us running to God when we're weak. It's having him as a constant cover over us, a constant shield about us. For those who grow closer and closer to God, we behold a God who appears stronger and stronger as a refuge. He doesn't get weaker and weaker the more we learn of him. He gets stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. This word here, refuge, in verse 1 is not just a word to cast hope for those who need safety physically. It's also a protection when we're attacked verbally. How many of you can say that you've been attacked or been assaulted by gossip or by rumors in some way? This morning? <laughs> this week? This season of life? Anyone ever call you names or, or seek to blame you for their troubles? Oh, this has happened to me so many times. And the, the more we try to lead and cast vision and try to, to do things, we have to trust in the truth of God, even though it seems like everyone is rallying to believe the gossip. The psalmist says, we have this refuge in our God. Not to necessarily trust in our integrity, but trust in the God who covers us who will bring our integrity through to the end. Knowing God is our refuge gives us confidence to face challenges and to face our foes and to, and to lead and be the men and women that he's created us to be. It gives us confidence to move forward even though it seems like everybody's got the bullseye on you. We trust in a God who is our refuge forever and ever. Verse 2, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of 
the sea. Verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. I love this. Verses 2 and 3, we see words like crumbling earth, tossed mountains, roaring waters, rumbling mountains. The word mountain here is the most immovable, sturdy object that people can even imagine. To be thinking that a mountain can not only just kind of shift, but the picture here is that it's picked up, thrown into the depths of the ocean. Have anybody seen that? Has anybody seen anything like that? It's almost cartoonish to think about. Actually, the psalmist here is not just giving the picture that the mountains picked up and thrown. It literally is talking about the mountains being turned upside down. So basically, when our world gets turned upside down, the mountain goes into the ocean and all we see are roaring waters in our life. No safe place, nothing to climb onto, nothing to hold onto, that our whole world has been flipped. We do not fear. The picture is that as the world is turned upside down, we have a God who never changes, who is sovereign, who owns and reigns over all things. His sovereignty brings confidence when we need it the most. That's the point of these two verses here, the imagery, when everything seems to be falling apart. Be brave. God is big. He's stronger. He's over all of this. Verse 6 The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. When it seems like nations and their leaders are raging, when it seems like everything's out of control, we can hope and trust that it's not about how good the leaders are. It's not about how good the Senate is or the House or the, the judges or the president or president or what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on in Hong Kong. No, we trust in a sovereign God who all he has to do is speak. And everything can go away. This is the psalm that I preached from the very Sunday after 9-11 in the church that I was in because I could not think of any encouraging word other than to tell the people that, that I was worshiping with, hey, the nations may rage, the kingdoms will totter, even this kingdom. But God is sovereign forever. Why? Do we have this confidence? Because he is our refuge. He is our help in times of trouble. But look with me. The imagery even gets better in verse 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Remember, he just talked about our worlds being turned upside down. And then he says, there's this river. The stream that makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Oh, this is a reminder of the steady, 
ongoing presence of God that is more than able to provide peace when the worlds get turned upside down in our life. Notice it says at the end of verse 5, God will help her when morning dawns. I've thought a lot about this. It's weird. Why does it say that? Well, one thing might be when calamity hits us, when seasons of despair and circumstances hit us that we weren't prepared for, maybe we were prepared for what you thought, but now that you're in it, you're like, this is just a horrible time in my life. Everybody's against me, or something was taken from me, or someone was taken from me. I don't know what to do. Often when we're facing seasons like that, we, we do what we can to make it through the day, one foot in front of the other. Just take one more breath, one more breath. We get to the bedtime. We do, unfortunately, a lot of times what we do is whatever we've got to do to get to sleep because sleep is the only safe place. But then morning comes. And if you've ever been in that desperation point when you don't know what's going to happen, you don't want to wake up. Oh, this again? <sighs> really? I just made it to bed last night. I don't know how I can make it again. The morning comes. The message here is God is in the midst of this. The world seems upside down. There's a river rolling through it, just like the river. The river doesn't stop. The creek doesn't stop. It just keeps rolling. You keep rolling. God's in the midst of this. He's with you. He will help you get confidence. Just get out of the bed. Start moving. I'm working. I'm working here. When morning dawns, Often our first thought is, I can't make it. What this text reminds us is when morning dawns, we say, God, I can't make it, but you are sovereign and you are my refuge and I can do what you want me to do today. I have the confidence, not in my strength, because if it were just left up to me, I'm going to blow it. But when morning comes, when dawn comes, you will hold me. You will help me. You'll keep me going through like the streams in the life. We can rise and we can trust God when we can't trust anything else. Verse 6, I love this. He utters His voice. The earth melts. One commentator says this, when Jehovah speaks, all nature stands aghast at the sound of His voice there was a time when my son started to play basketball and he was he was playing and there was this opposing coach who seemed louder than anybody I've ever heard and you know have you ever played uh, against those people where the parents they're yelling at their kid but they're really yelling about the opponent to their kid you go to these AAU tournaments these select tournaments and sometimes the parents are like he can't hold you He's trash. Look how bad he is. He wants to go crying to his mama. You know, all that kind of stuff. Anybody ever been there? Okay, well, that happens. Um, so this particular time, Josh was really, really little, and it just hit me that the voice of the coach 
is louder than the voice that's inside of him. We called a timeout and I pulled him aside. Josh, you are a follower of Christ. Inside of you, there's a roaring lion and his voice needs to be louder. He is sovereign. Don't listen to the other voices. When dawn comes, there's a voice. There's all these voices saying, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And God says, I am sovereign. Listen to my voice. Have confidence. We are his. We see that all throughout this text. Verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. He is our fortress. This is the God that Noah heard and obeyed, even though no one else would. This is the God that Jacob was called by, though he wasn't worthy at all to be called. This is the God that Joseph trusted when everybody turned against him and forgot him. This is the God that Moses knew and he heard and he followed against amazing odds. This is the God who cast a shadow over Goliath when David faced the giant. This is the God of Nehemiah and Ezra who trusted that God is directing the heart of King Artaxerxes and making the door and the way wide open for them to do what God wanted them to do. This is the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had confidence to say to the king, even if he doesn't deliver us, he's still God. This is the God who's sovereign, who emboldened Esther when she just simply remembered who really reigns over everything. This trust in the sovereignty of God gives his children confidence. And this is seen most in how we pray. People ask me, oh, Jason, aren't you encouraged by the growth of what's happening in your church? I am. This is nice. This is cool. But I don't get encouragement. I don't measure growth by who shows up on Sunday morning. I love you all. I'm glad we're all here. We all need this, right? But you know what gets me excited? That once a month, that's why we advertise it every Sunday when people come in that night of prayer and they're like, it's like they're, they come in with a little confidence, like, yeah, we're about to do some work. Not confident in themselves, but trusting that we're about to get in clusters and we're about to submit our day. We're about to pray to the one who can melt the earth, to the one who holds everything. Do you pray like that? The invitation to you every day is come to me, run to me, and be confident. Trust in the sovereignty of God builds confidence, but it also creates worship. There's a lot we could talk about worship, obviously, but I'm just going to say that there are two things that every pure, true, sincere worship has. Two things. One is humility, and the other is exaltation. Humility and exaltation. Humility. True and authentic worship begins with genuine humility. When, like Isaiah, we say, oh, you are holy, holy, holy. We are not, not, not. Nothing humbles me more than thoughts on the sovereignty 
of God. Look with me in verse 8 of our text. This is one of those green highlights in my Bible. Whenever I see a precept or a command in Scripture that is telling me to do something, inviting me to do something, it's a green highlight. And this is one of those. Come, behold the works of who? The Lord. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? That's Yahweh. Come, behold the works of the Lord. When we show video testimonies, when we talk about videos, when we sing, uh, we're not talking about the works of Lauren and Luke. We're not talking about the works of Jason. We're talking about what God has done. We come humbly recognizing He is the one at work. Verse 9 says, He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He turns the chariots with fire. Let me ask you, can you make wars cease? Can the person you vote for make all wars cease? Let me just jump ahead of you. No. Can you bring desolation on the earth? I can't even make my own stubborn heart, my own stubborn mind act rightly without His divine help. I can't even solve the war in myself without God's sovereign love changing me and making me. As Paul puts it in Romans 9, God is forever. He, this is not an exact quote from Romans 9, but a summarization, summary of number. He is forever the potter, and we are but only clay. He is the creator, the designer, the worker, the caller, the giver, the sustainer, and the holder of our very lives. This should humble us. If we have breath, and in that breath we're able to say anything good about God, that's because God acted and worked and called and gave you the breath and gave you the idea and invited you into the holy of holies of holies through Christ. It's because not only has God allowed us to sing praises to Him, He's willed it because He's sovereign. His sovereignty serves us well to humble us, to cause us to actually obey Him. Look with me in verse 10. This is the invitation. When you, the world's turned upside down, He says, be still. Not do more. Not give more. Oh, well, maybe if I would give this much more money, then I would have peace about where I am with you. God. No, you, goings, just stop. Just, just stop. Push the pause button. Recognize who I am. I'm God who reigns over all of this. Talk about humbling. I have found that when I don't be still, and know God, I get busy and I usually mess it up. 
this text is saying for a lot of us, if I could just be blunt here, that quit running to social media that's busy, active, blah, 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 blah. Be still and go to God. Get your confidence from him, not in trying to win some argument. Get your confidence from him and be humbled. Come behold the works of the Lord. Now notice also in verse 10, be still, know that I am God, and notice where he will be exalted. Okay, we're humbling ourselves before God, and then it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. None of us can say with complete confidence that we will be exalted without Christ. I mean, we can't say, I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get married. I will have children. I will get this favor. I'm going to do it. No, apart from God, we don't have that confidence at all. Only God can say, whatever y'all are doing, I will be exalted in every nation, amongst every people group. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So, We exalt God in several ways. How can we be a part of this? Well, we humble ourselves, being still, recognizing He's God. But this psalm is a model for us. We exalt God by singing, by living, by enjoying. You're like, oh no, 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 three more points, I can't do this. No, these are real quick. This is a song. Go back to verse 1 just for a second with me. Two... The choir master. There's not many psalms that it says that. This is bring the best that you got. We're about to sing about the sovereignty of God. To the choir master, the sons of Kor. And then there's this weird phrase, according to Alamoth. A lot of people comment different things about this. That some people think it's like this, bring, bring sort of the sopranos, the, the, the falsetto. And it's not about pitch. It's about purity, crispness. At the offense of embarrassing, this would be like bring Dana Rowe to the stage. Bring the band. Bring the best the church has to offer. We're about to sing a psalm that is so important. When we exalt Christ, we sing about his sovereignty. Luther said about this, and I'm paraphrasing because he said it in German. He says, when all is against us, let us gather the greatest and the finest singers and let's sing Psalm 46. We exalt him by singing. We exalt him by living back to the streams of water. Streams of waters don't stop. They continue to stream and they move. And that's how we can exalt God as saying, okay, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going. My confidence is not in what I can do today and how I feel. My confidence is in God. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to keep with boldness and hope. I'm going to be brave today, trusting in his confidence. He is my helper. So I will keep living. His help is sovereign. His mercy is sovereign. So keep living. Start living. 
And then, of course, enjoying is another way we exalt him. There is no doubt that the psalmist is enjoying his fellowship with the Lord. Be still. Do you enjoy God? If you're not enjoying God, then that's the message to you. Be still. You're trying to find all your joy in these other things. Be still and know God. Find your joy, your pleasures in the living God. The invitation is for us to be confident in His sovereignty and to exalt Him by singing, by living, and by simply enjoying Him. So, as a church, let's do verses 8 and 10 together. Not just during the week, but specifically, especially together on Sundays or in our small group. Let's come together and behold the works of the Lord. Let's come together and be still and recognize He's the one worthy of exaltation because He never changes, because He's holy, 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 and because He is sovereign over everything that seems to be turned upside down. When we look at verse 8, This morning, come behold the works of the Lord. We have that opportunity with the Lord's Supper, with communion. We have three stations. We have one back there, one back there, and one right here. When we look at this invitation to come behold the works and we imagine, I want you to do what I'm going to do in just a second. I want you to imagine a picture with me. All of the saints of all time remembering the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Come behold the works of the Lord and what He did on the cross to save us. He came from His high mountain down to us who are straggling down to the end to save us, to win us, to bring us to Himself. So you take the cup, you go back to your seat and you take the cup and you take them apart and the bread's underneath the juice. And we come behold the work of the Lord, we are saying when we take the bread, yes, I'm beholding, I'm remembering the work that you laid down your life in my place and you took the punishment that I was due. Yes, I take the bread and I rejoice in your sovereign plan over my life. You take the juice and you take the other cup and you say, yes, I'm coming beholding the work of the Lord. I believe that your royal blood was shed And it is sovereign blood. It's sovereign blood that has saved me. It's redeemed me. It's covered all of my sins forever. Today, I exalt Christ. I enjoy Christ by drinking this and saying, yes, I humbly submit with full confidence that I need the body and the blood of Christ. And by taking it, I'm moving forward. And I'm living and I'm enjoying, though everything seems upside down. Our God is holy, holy, holy. Our God never changes. Our God is sovereign over all things. So therefore, let's come and behold His holy and sovereign plan of redemption by remembering the life and death, and resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you 
Thank you for hearing our cries to be healed. Thank you for hearing our cries to be forgiven. Thank you for your sovereign act to bring us to this place together. God, thank you that no one is in this room by accident. You are sovereign. So we pray to you. We come and we behold your work because our work just hasn't helped us that much. But your work has saved us forever. Thank you. And so, for the fame and in the name of Jesus, we do this.